Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And welcome to episode 92 of Writer on the Road. I can't believe I'm saying that everybody that we've been around for 92 episodes. It's amazing and we're fast racing towards episode 100, which I'm guessing will come around Christmas time, which is even more exciting. What a way to celebrate Christmas 2017 with 100 episodes. Uh, Today's a very special episode for me. It takes me on a bit of a trip down memory lane. I've got Gabby Logan from dreamsoftravelwriting.com. And the reason it's so exciting for me is because I used to make my living freelance writing. And I'd forgotten how exciting it can be and how it's very, very possible to to make your living uh, freelance writing. Gabby has a book, The Six-Figure Travel Writing Roadmap, uh, which she'll talk to us about in this episode. Uh, now, imagine um, earning, I guess, six figures from travel writing. Now, I've always done okay at it, but I can tell you now, everyone, that I've never earned six figures. Uh, but what a great uh, supplement to everything else that I'm doing. So she's got me all fired up again. Um, I am a member of uh, Travel Writers Radio with uh, Graham Kemler down in Melbourne and I've been doing a bit with him and I guess I just have to start doing some more. Uh, I guess we forget as, I guess, novel writers that there are other ways of utilising our skills. Writing and being a wordsmith is such a gift and we should, um, I guess, bless ourselves every day that we can actually make our money through making stuff up and it's always amazed me and it will continue to amaze me. On a personal note, uh, some of you may know that Sam, uh, my daughter Samantha, has just taken out um, some amazing awards at the Queensland Academies of Creative for Creative Writers and it's not Creative Writers at all, it's um, Queensland Academy for Creative Industries. Um, I've got creative writing on the brain, everybody. Um, but she's ducked out. She's taken uh, the Seaver Award and the Young Pathmaker Award. She is famous in her own right, and she's going off to Melbourne and leaving me, which I'm not so happy about. Um, but we'll still be able to do everything we do with our young scholars, uh, I guess, via the internet. And that's why I've made my business digital, so that wherever we are, we can, we can still carry on with what we're doing. But back to what we're talking about today is travel writing. It is exciting and you'll notice even as I'm um, chatting with Gabby, you can hear the excitement in my voice because I've been there, done all of this. And next year, Gabby's actually convinced me that I should be sharing my knowledge with you guys as well. So that's an interesting, I guess, addition to my business, teaching feature writing and teaching personal essays. I already do it with my young scholars. I already do it at school. And it never occurred to me to teach it to adults as well. But Gabby assures us there's a huge demand out there. Gabby's a travel writing coach and is so professional and her website is absolutely beautiful if you get a chance to go and check it out. Also, don't forget her newsletter, Uh, that you can subscribe to and has lots of tips and gives you lots of freelance gigs. Those kinds of opportunities were never around when I was doing it. It was the good old-fashioned go to the library and look things up, which I guess I'm showing my age. But nowadays you can do everything with a click of a button, which is even more exciting. Uh, So settle back, have a listen, and tell me what you learn at the end of it because I know that I'm really excited. The market is increasing for print magazines, which I never knew. So if you're at all interested in feature writing and making extra money from the skills that you already have, uh, look up look up Gabby, look up, it's either Gabby, GabbyLogan.com or DreamsOfTravelWriting.com. You can download the first three chapters of her book uh, if you subscribe to her newsletter, which of course I did, but I'm going to buy the book as well because it's just um, too good to refuse. Okay, over to Gabby. And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Uh, This morning we're travelling all the way over to New York City and this is one of the interviews that I've been waiting to do for a very long time. I'd like to welcome Gabby Logan. Hello, nice to meet you everyone. 
yeah now Gabby actually contacted me guys and I was really excited to have her aboard because she's got my dream job uh, Gabby is a travel writing coach uh, journalist and was a full-time travel writer but has gotten bogged down in the business side of things which is what we want to know today Gabby tell us all about this wonderful world that you live in so actually we were chatting a little bit before we started recording about how my job sounds so dreamy but like anything that looks great from the outside, it is a lot of work. And this is one of the reasons that I started doing the travel writing coaching in the first place was that I didn't go to travel conferences. I didn't read a lot of travel blogs. When I started travel writing, I was reading a lot of business websites and general journalism websites or book publishing websites and really trying to learn how people do it outside of travel and then applying that in travel writing. Because a lot of times with travel, people start out with a blog and they write their own travel experiences and then they try to find a way to monetize it. But I had started the other way around. I said, okay, I have a freelance business. I have to figure out how to make a living doing this. And so when I started interacting with other travel writers, they said, oh, you don't have your own blog, but you're a freelance blogger and you get paid $250 to write whatever you want for only 500 words. How does that work? Tell us how that works. And so people started asking me how to do that. And from that, I just kept getting the same questions over and over again. And I wrote this book called The Six-Figure Travel Writing Roadmap. And people often look at that and say, six figures travel writing. Like, that's absolutely, that. there's no way. And the thing that I found is that, especially today, the opportunities are quite different. And magazines haven't gone away. Fewer people are pitching them because they're pitching websites. And there's been a huge resurgence also in the book market. Just this weekend, I ran a writing retreat and somebody was there who's just had a book come out slightly more in the food sphere, but it's about cooking with beer. And somebody else who was at our retreat is a Finnish writer from Finland who's now living in America. And she's working on a nonfiction book about sort of telling the stories of people who voted for Trump and showing that they're more normal human beings than you might think, which is kind of the, the response to Hillary Clinton's what happened, but looking at it from the Republican side of view. So there's a lot of things like what Mel does, where it's just these great stories that are out there that are in different places that you have a lot more opportunities now as a quote-unquote travel writer to tell those whether it's through books or through different interesting magazines that have come up or even writing for companies or for tourism boards on their website being the storyteller for that brand or that destination. Yeah. Now, there's so much to unpack there, everybody. And the most exciting thing that I think is um, – Oh, well, sorry, Gabby, having Gabby here is the most exciting thing. But the second thing, everyone, is this six-figure travel writing roadmap. Uh, it's a fantastic book, and I'll definitely reference it in the notes for you. I've grabbed my copy straight away. Uh, but what it does is it sets out a way for you to make a living as a wordsmith uh, and do it the right way and do it the smart way. Now I know lots of people write blogs and I know they write thousands of words and you know photographs everything that goes with it uh, and then tries to work out how to monetize it via affiliates. Now I know from my, um, I guess, liaison with um, uh, Travel Writers Radio here in Australia that there are much smarter ways of going about it. Uh, now Gabby, you're a writing coach. What's the first thing we need to do? So... One of the things that I have kind of developed when I started thinking about whether I wanted to coach people, I started by looking at the people who many of them were friends of mine, but some of them were just people that I had met at conferences who called themselves travel writers or said that they wanted to be travel writers, but they actually had a part-time job doing something else. And they were never quite jumping that threshold into being a full-time writer. And I looked at what separates those for lack of a better word, the people who are making it from the people who aren't. And one of the things that I found is that apart from a love of storytelling or different cultures or sharing other cultures is the idea that there's three really basic motivations for people who want to write about travel. There is the motivation to be simply that idea of being a travel writer, being published, being in National Geographic, being in Condé Nast Traveler, being an Australian traveler. That I call that the bylines motivation. Then there is the freedom motivation. So this is for people who want to be traveling and want to be doing different things and have essentially decided that writing and storytelling is the 
easiest, best way, the way they like best to go about it. And then there's what I call the free trips motivation. So the free trips are for people who are often have had an entire career in a different profession and now really just want to travel. And they're essentially using their writing to get free stays various places. So they might care slightly less about where exactly they go, but it's more just about being able to be in different places. It's less about the writing and more about the traveling, but we're using the writing rather than, you know, having income or using points and miles to enable the travel. So the very first and foremost thing that I recommend people figure out is which one of those three you are. Because if you're trying to pitch to a type of writing that isn't congruent with that motivation, you're going to self-sabotage in a lot of little ways that you might not even notice. So for instance, if you really care about bylines, but you started a blog, like we said, thinking that sometime an editor might notice you, that's not the the best path to your goal. You should start getting as many clips from as many different outlets as you can to establish your credibility. If you care about freedom, then what you really just need is some recurring positions, whether they're writing for a website or writing for a magazine, you know, or doing something for a company, you just need that outlet to be writing about travel and for it to pay your bills. Whereas if you care about the trips, you should be focusing on types of writing where the money might not be the primary compensation, but using the name of that outlet to get on the trip is the best thing. And so there's different types of writing in that way. But another way that I find that people miss out on, which goes to the storytelling aspect, is looking at the things that you personally already do when you travel. So for instance, I found this very sneaky thing when I first started out, which is that my mother always took me to tea rooms wherever we were. We would always go for high tea places. It was just, it was, it was kind of our thing and I kept doing it even when I was traveling on my own. And there are actually magazines that are just about tea that have travel sections. And, you know, I have been shocked to find that there are actually quilting travel communities where people travel to go to quilting workshops in different places. So whatever you do probably has somewhere a publication that incorporates the travel aspect of it. I recently found a website that's all about breakfast. It's all about breakfast food and breakfast recipes. And it's through Time Inc., which, you know, publishes the New York Times and lots of other publications. So they have a very healthy pay rate. And you can write about, you know, the breakfast traditions in this place is the five best breakfasts in Sydney. I don't know how I would even narrow those. I have more than five best breakfasts in Sydney just for myself. But that's a place which is looking entirely just for travel articles about breakfast. So starting with something that you don't think of as travel, as destination travel or as a big travel narrative feature, but it's just the way that you personally travel is a really great way to get started. Yeah. And I'm really excited. I'm listening to Gabby here. Very enthusiastic. Um, very exciting to listen to. And I'm having a bit of a chuckle, Gabby, because, um, and it's probably something you guys don't know about me, is that I started off um, travel writing and that's how I was making money to support my daughters and I. And I used to travel all around North Queensland and there was this wonderful magazine called Bean Scene. And mm-hmm. up in North Queensland, they actually have all the coffee plantations. So pitching magazines like that will get you into that little niche market. And once you get those clips and once you um, develop that reputation, it can quite take off. Uh, what I found, Gabby, and it's probably something that some of us have got the same problem, having children and going jetting off all around the world don't go hand in hand. And I had to mm-hmm. I had to change my direction and now I work with kids. But you've got to have the freedom, haven't you? You've got to go where the stories are. This is actually an interesting point because here in the States, I've run into a very robust travel community in the Midwest, so kind of Chicago and South, around the Great Lakes, Minnesota, where they write only about local travel, only about places that they can drive to on the weekend with their families. And I was recently at the conference for tourism boards. So it's the international conference for tourism boards from all around the world. And Travel Australia did this big presentation. And in fact, as a side note, they work with about 14 freelancers directly, even though they also work with agencies. And they highlight food all over Australia. They have a really wonderful newsletter they put together every week called What's Australia Eating This Weekend. And so there's even a lot of opportunities right at home where you are working with not just local publications, but also with the local tourism board. And I have several friends who obviously Lonely Planet's in Australia. They essentially got gigs working for Lonely Planet just by popping into the office and saying, hey, just so you know, I'm here. Um, But 
that's one of the things is that when you live somewhere and that you know that area where you live very, very well and you're able just on the weekend to go somewhere, you have that really deep locational expertise. And you can go whether it is to your local tourism board or you can also be writing for the websites, for instance, of tour companies that operate where you are. And those might be tour companies, for instance, that are based in Dubai, but they bring Middle Eastern travelers to where you are and they need to have somebody on the ground who's writing about the things to do in the destination that they're serving, but their people who work for them aren't there and they can't write about that. So that's one of those things you can do, which isn't necessarily editorial specific, but another thing that is often overlooked, and we talk about this a lot when I teach, is airline magazines. Airline magazines are really lovely because they obviously have to cover a lot of different areas, but they also have these sections in the magazine that are very easy to pitch because they're similar in terms of the format every month. So you as the writer know exactly what to tell that editor. One that I reference a lot, and I know Virgin Australia, I was just mentioning this weekend to some students, has a lot that are like this. But Air Canada's En Route has a section called High Low, and it's only 350 words. But in that very tiny length, they have three different topics. So for instance, they might have seafood, picnics, and water sports in a coastal destination. And then for each of those things, they give you options of how to do it expensively or cheaply. And one of the really lovely things about something like that is that you don't have to think about your pitch. You say, I would like to do this destination for you. And in this article, I will write and you just feed back to them exactly what they have in the section. And they appreciate it because you checked out the magazine and you know what they have. And so I run a database of magazines and which sections are open to freelancers. And we've got about 40 odd airline magazines from all around the world. We just added some that are from low cost carriers in Malaysia. And you would often be surprised about what things you can write about that are in your backyard, but for publications that are outside of your geographic area. Yeah. And and everybody, as Gabby's talking, I it triggers back memories. I used to write for a travel magazine between Townsville and Mount Isa, and they're little outback places here in Oz. And I pitched these stories, and I was in Hawaii, and I, I wrote Flying High, Um for our little local magazine, um, yet I'd been, you know, travelling travelling overseas to write these stories because they can't get that kind of content themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The very first article I wrote was for, oh, it was Air Garuda or one of those, and we're talking about 30 years ago, and I've still got the cheque because it was something like 200,000 baht or something like that, and it was interviewing Greg Norma as uh, Greg Norman, who, you know, Australian, big Australian golf rider. And those kinds of stories I was told had dried up and that they weren't available anymore, that airline mm. magazines didn't um, buy from freelancers anymore. So it's interesting talking to you to say, well, that's actually not true, that um, it is still a, a thriving market because they used to pay very, very well. Mm. And it's a well-paid market, in fact, because as you mentioned, they do often pay around a dollar a word. And one of the things that's happened, though, with the airline magazines is there was a shift. For a while, some of them went away, but now there's been a resurgence. And in fact, Etihad just added a magazine. They didn't used to have one. Qatar just revamped its magazine, which had been dead for a while. A lot of airlines that maybe didn't have them are bringing them back or making them better. But what's happened, and which is actually nice for writers, is that a lot of the airline magazines are done by publishing agencies who might do 25 different airline magazines out of the same company. And a big one that does a lot of the magazines all around the world is called Inc. Global. And they have an office in London, an office in New York. I think they also have one in Berlin. They do a lot of the Central European carriers. And then there's a couple other different companies in Asia that do them that are out of Hong Kong. And what's nice with that is that the editors tend to edit more than one magazine. So once you've pitched an editor and worked with them on one publication, They might even suggest to you, hey, I need a story about that same destination, but for this other magazine, could you do that for me? So that really helps you in terms of your hourly rate, because there's fewer relationships that you need to make with editors, but you're getting more magazines for bang for your buck, so to say, out of that one pitch. Yeah, and it's exciting. As you said, they will recommend you. Uh, We have here in Australia Escape Magazine, which is one of the big um, travel magazines, and a friend of mine, Brian, uh, used to run that Australia-wide mm-hmm. um, magazine. 
And he he was telling me a little yarn here on the podcast in the early days that uh, he would go searching for freelance writers and he said it was very mm. difficult to get people who could write well uh, mm-hmm. and that was a real yeah. struggle for him. And he'd go pitching and he found this guy. It was out of Broken Hill. I can't even remember where it was. It was somewhere. And he just said, would you, would you write this story for me? And then this mm-hmm. guy out of the blue managed to get all these writing gigs and Escape Magazine pays very well. And it was just through... Um, Brian finding his website or finding him somehow like that. So, so having a presence and having a few clips behind you is very important. But also, um, getting out there and getting your name known—they're important things too, aren't they? Yeah. And the thing is that, you know, I to go back to this, you know, not to harp on it too much, but this idea of I'm going to write some really lovely things on my blog and somebody will find me. What you can also do is that those things that you think can only go on your blog. I hear oftentimes people say, well, I had this story and I really wanted to write this story and I couldn't find a home for it, so I put it on my blog. But right now, there's a lot of really excellent independent magazines and they're often quite quirky. There's an entire magazine called Open House, which is in English but out of Barcelona, which is just dedicated to people who open their homes to visitors, but not like Airbnb, but who who live in historic residencies and one day a year they open it to guests. There's an entire magazine just about that. There's a magazine out of London called Ernest, like the man's name, which bills itself as for people who like to whittle. It's There's such quirky magazines out there these days that just focus on interesting stories around the world. And Smith Journal, for instance, is one that I really like to recommend to people in the States who might not know it in terms of just those neat, quirky stories that you find places. But those independent magazines Smith Journal aside, the ones that are really straight storytelling tend to be feature only. So there are a lot of first-person narratives or photo essays, and there are a lot of the same things that you would put on your blog. But rather than putting it on your blog directly, you can go and get the clip and then put the clip on your website rather than just putting the blog post there. And that has a lot more cred to an editor that might come around looking for a subject matter expert on a certain topic. Yeah. And, uh, talking about photography I actually went out and did a photography course because being Mm -hmm. able to take photographs and take good photographs not just snap them although the phones now probably do that I went out and bought a I think a Nikon camera and learned how to drive Mm -hmm. the thing which doesn't go well with a creative brain everybody if you need to learn to take photographs it's not as easy as it looks trust me (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a very practical skill but having to um, having photographs to go with your story is actually um, fairly important Mm -hmm. and this is something that We discuss a lot because it's a changing atmosphere. So it used to be the case that a lot of magazines would want original photos, either that you as the writer had taken or that you perhaps had a photography partner or they would send a photographer with you or they would send a photographer out after the fact. A lot of newspaper journalists are used to only doing the story because somebody else would do the photos. But that's really shifted to not only do more magazines look to you to take the photos and expect that it's a basic skill that a journalist should take photos as well, but they're often using stock editorial photographs if you don't have them available. So it can often be the difference between getting an extra $50 per photograph for the six photographs that are going to go in your story, or they'll just get them somewhere else if you can take the photos. But what can also happen is if the photos, because for photography in travel, the images are such an important part of the editorial. So if the photos aren't available of something, they might not be able to run your story. So even to be able to just have some snaps that are available in case they want them can be a make or break in terms of getting that published. And it's very simple to have those set up for the editor. There's a lot of free websites. Obviously, there's Flickr and some things like that, but there's even free portfolio websites. So what I've done is that if an editor wants to see if I have good enough photos for a certain piece, I'll put them up in a portfolio site and she can go through and look and say, okay, we'll take this, this, and this one. Because once you've put those photos on your own blog, then they're published. And if you put them on Instagram or on Facebook, technically Facebook and Instagram also own some rights to those photos. So if you have photos that go with a piece that you want to pitch, it's really good to hold on to those until you've worked that out with an editor. Yeah, and your editor doesn't want to see the photos they buy splattered all over everywhere else. They exactly. Want yeah, yeah, you've got to be really careful. Interesting, you talked about uh, a dollar a word as being a good rate. Now I know that um, I would scour for those magazines as well um, because, um, you know, $500, you, it, it's worthwhile writing that article. Mm-hmm. So 
They're not the top rates, though, are they? They're they're probably mm. middle of the road. There's a lot of magazines that pay a lot less. Everybody, beware. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I definitely feel like a metric to keep in mind is that anything that's about ten cents will never be worth your time. But anything that's even say twenty five, thirty, fifty cents is worth considering because if the editor is easy to work with and they're not going to come back to you with a lot of edits and you don't need to do new research. So maybe you've written about that same destination or you know it very well and you're not need going to need to do a lot more for this story, those lower rates can be worth your time. And it's really important to consider your hourly rate rather than just the rate for the piece, whether it's a flat rate or a per word rate, because something might pay $2,000. Something might be for a big glossy magazine and pay $2,000. But by the time you have gotten done going back and forth over email with that editor 10,000 times, and they want you to go out and shoot new photos, your rate is way less than 10 cents. And it wasn't really worth your time after all, even though it'll probably be a good clip, but they might take two years to pay you. And I actually had um, somebody who teaches journalism in Sydney had come to a workshop that I did. And he was in the position where thankfully, I don't even know the outlet. So I, I can't tell you who it was. But the editor had actually sent him on a trip to do a specific piece. And then she sat on the piece for two years, and she never published it. And so it's not just how much you get paid, but it's also when you get paid. So another good thing to block out with editors in advance when you're first having that discussion is if they pay on acceptance, which means when they take the article from you and say, okay, it's done, I don't need any more edits from you, or if they don't pay until publication, because that might be, you know, next to never. Yeah, and that everybody, I think here in Australia in particular, and I can only talk about the Australian market um, other than my um, wonderful airline magazines early on in the piece, uh, it went through a stage where um, because the newspapers and magazines are putting off their permanent staff that they've got a lot of professional journalists now freelancing and so you're competing with those kinds of people. But you can look at it another way. If you take pride in your work and do the best that you can and put it out there, you're not actually competing with anybody because they will accept you on your merits so my suggestion I don't know if you agree with this is don't be put off by competition because the more of us out there doing it the more it grows the pool doesn't it absolutely and one of the things that I've noticed and in fact the whole first chapter of my book is all about this is that there's a lot of that scaring off and less of moving past the scaring off. And so what happens, whether it's really ridiculous guidelines, some magazines and newspapers give you a laundry list of 25 things you have to do when you pitch us. You know, there's that which is very overt versus the more covert thing where you just feel like you're not good enough or that your stories aren't as good as you see there or that you know people who write for that publication they've been writing for 25 years and you haven't pitched before. There's a lot of ways that you can be scared off. And the thing is that not at all, as many people as you think move past that. And the majority of the people who do are not good writers. They're not very easy to work with, but editors put up with them because they keep pitching and they turn their stories in. So if you are a good writer and you have good ideas or you have access to good material, and like Mel said earlier, that might even just be that you live in an interesting part of Australia that not even that many people in Australia get to. And for sure, people in Japan won't have known about that area and its wonderful natural resources. You're at an advantage because you have the material and you are showing up. I There's a an off-misattributed quote about, you know, 90% of success is just showing up. And in freelance journalism, that is huge. I commission writers for our travel magazine database, and I have been so surprised with how much fall off we get or people who did one piece exactly right, and then they give me another piece that's completely different, and they won't figure out what is the difference between what they did the first time and the second time. So, no matter how underqualified you may feel, a lot of being, not necessarily even persistent, but being professional can go a very long way in making up for that today in today's market. Yeah. Now, everybody, that just got slipped in there, but I think you might like to write this down. Gabby Logan, uh, is it Dream Travel uh, Database? Dream of Travel Writing is the main website, and our database is very simply called travelmagazinedatabase.com. Yeah, and she commissions writers. She just slipped in there. So just we might unpack that a little bit. Gabby, what are you looking for? So – 
with me, I'm looking for something that's actually very advantageous for most folks, which is an ongoing relationship. And part of that is because I am not setting out to be an editor. Like, like we mentioned before, I do a lot of different things. And so I want people who I don't have to spend a lot of time editing every month. I want people who will look at the style guide and buy the style guide and put out consistent work every time. And so in our database, it's not, uh, it's more of a copywriting type work rather than editorial. And so part of that is also consistency to our voice, but that's really something that's useful no matter where you're writing is seeing what types of words, what types of transitions, what types of sentence length people are using. I had a writer who was writing for me for a while who I had to let go because she missed a bunch of deadlines. And you can tell which entries are hers because they're they're a bit bloated and they're, they're so much longer. And it's very easy to think, oh, well, I'm giving more information and that's useful. But if it's not in the style of the publication, that's not actually useful. It's, it's just distracting. And so what we do in the database is that we have magazines and we break down exactly which sections are open to freelancers. And we say the word count, if it's first, second, or third person, if it has sidebars, examples of past stories. And so in our case, the a, a bit of what's happening is the analysis besides just the writing. And so you need to be able to draw those conclusions and back up your research by having looked at other publications. And that's one of the things, you know, I talked about for us that half of it is the research side and half of it is the writing. And obviously showing up is important to all of that. But I've seen for myself and I've also seen in other outlets and with other editors that I talk to that it's increasingly common that people are good at one or the other. And it's makes the editor so happy if you're good at both because otherwise they're just going to be pulling teeth, asking you questions, trying to get you to do more research that they think that you should have done already. And so one of the things that I think besides, like I said, just, you know, being professional that can really make you stand out in today's market is being a crack researcher, really asking those questions of the people that you interview, or, you know, if you're doing a straight destination piece, really looking around and turning up what is the cafe or the pub that the locals go to? You know, what is the dish that isn't the one that's served in the tourist restaurants, but is actually the dish that all of the local people eat, that their grandmother's recipe has been, you know, passed down to their own children. And that level of research right now, I find not so many people are really doing. They're not really turning up what's the most interesting really sparkly thing about the places that they're visiting. So that's the kind of thing that even if you aren't ready to start writing these stories yet, just in your own life, you know, we always have places where we live that we drive by all the time and we've just never stopped and asked, hey, like, how did you guys start this thing? It's really interesting. And so that's the kind of stuff that you can just start doing to find these stories wherever wherever you are or wherever you're traveling. Yeah, and everybody, we always think that somewhere else is more exotic. Uh, and I notice I, I teach um, creative writing to my kids and we, we cover feature articles. And the interesting thing is they'll go on the internet and they'll find all this information and they'll, they'll as you said, they'll find all the cafes and they'll find everything. I said, go and step outside and tell me what the weather's like. Go and mm. step outside and tell me what season it is. Um, go and step outside and watch the people going into the cafe and tell me about them. So I think one of the problems that we have is we've got a generation coming through who are used to Googling it and, and not getting out there and doing it. Uh, and the funny thing is we travel more than ever, uh, but we mm. don't stop and slow down and, and tell the story, which is, which is I guess, good old-fashioned uh, writing. The other mm -hmm. thing that I find really interesting is when I teach these creative writing stories, like I've pulled all my travel writing down off my website because it was just um, confusing my identity or my mm -hmm. brand or yeah. whatever. Uh, but digital footprints, um, the kids can still go onto the internet and they can still find my stories, which in some ways is hilarious um, because I used to write personal personal stuff, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, this is where I am. This is what I saw. And guy that that guy was handsome and they're looking at this middle-aged <laughs> grey-haired lady going, oh, come, miss, give us a break. <laughs> uh -oh. But that's what sold, that people wanted to know the personal. Uh, so we, we've covered the money. We've covered the story ideas. Uh, I guess 
um, being professional and turning up is the best advice that you can give. Uh, to ramp it up to the title of your book, The Six Figure Travel Writer, you have to treat it like a business and there goes the romance out the door because it's really tiring. But, you know, it's interesting because it's not the, – the funny thing is that when I do workshops for writers who have been freelancing for a bit and we're more now fine-tuning that business aspect of getting to that six-figure point if they're not there yet, what we talk a lot about actually is what they're already doing that they don't need to keep doing. Because whether it is in the way that you organize your day or the way that your writing process works or the way that your pitching process works, there's often a lot of squishy parts, a lot of fluff. And I'm not just talking about going on Facebook, right? We all know that it's procrastinating unless we are digital influencers to be on Facebook networking. And I say that in quotations. So we all know that. But there's a lot of things that we're actually doing that feel productive but are procrastination that we don't realize. And one of those things is I find often I, when I ask people, how long does it take you to write a pitch to a magazine? I get two answers. I very rarely get anything else. It's 15 minutes or it's two to three hours. I have never heard anybody tell me one hour. And there's a very clear reason for this. It's because the people who are taking two to three hours they are not saying, okay, this is the idea. Let me find the magazine. Let me spit those words out into an email and off it goes to the editor. They're looking at a magazine. They're looking at a lot of different articles in the magazine that aren't even a section that this pitch would be appropriate for. They're looking at different magazines. You know, they're then saying, oh, wow, like maybe I could also write an idea about this or I could also write about this. And sometimes that pitch doesn't even come out of that process. And so one of the things that I find about being you know, a six figure writer is that now that I run a business and I coach and I do a lot of other things, I miss my life of being just a plain six figure freelance writer because it was so much easier because I knew what I was going to write. I knew how to do my pitches. I knew how to send out. And it wasn't just the experience level of that, but it's because they're just codified processes. The way that I would research my articles, I know I only need this, this, and this, and I can't let myself research past that. And so one of the things that I always tell people to set up, if you don't have it already and you are freelancing, and especially if you have other obligations, you know, kids are one thing, but people often these days have ailing parents that they've moved home to take care of or other obligations of that ilk, whether it's church or different types of volunteering, that you need to be mindful of your work hours and how they're being spent in order to capture these things. So if you have never used a time tracker to actually be honest with yourself about how much time you're taking on different things, I highly recommend it because it is incredibly eye-opening. And I've been doing it now probably for about five or six years. So I have time tracking data that goes back through all sorts of different types of freelancing I've been doing. And one other thing that I noticed, which is a big difference between the people that I see who earn a lot and have good work-life balance versus the people who still aren't where they want to be, is not just the time management bit, but also energy management. So writing creative things when you're fresh, doing research when you're tired. And I can tell you from my own time tracker data that having written for the same publications for several years, very similar articles, if I'm writing an article just because I'm on deadline versus I'm writing it because I'm in a good spot at that moment, I know what I want to say, it takes me four to 10 times longer to write that same article. And I've seen this with people I coach where once we talk a little bit about that, they realize they have all of this time to send new pitches that they didn't have before. And it's not because they're working extra hours. Yeah. Now, if you're not excited by now, everybody, I'm kicking back going, oh, I've got to get back into this free, free writing. <laughs> you know, this is really good. Now, I stopped, I'll be honest. Um, I was, was still writing for a little country magazine here in Australia, and it got bought out recently by a bigger magazine. And my pay rate dropped in half immediately. Mm -hmm. And I remember the editor emailing me and saying, um, we'll pay you, I think, $250. And I just emailed back and said, I don't get out of bed for $250. And that was the end of that relationship. But unfortunately, what's Good your advice? You. Yeah. Well, what's the advice for from you for people who are starting out and they would take that gig, they'd take that 250 And people do, and I can see why you would do it once or twice. But yeah. to stick with it is just, you just shouldn't have to do it nowadays. 
Yeah. And I, and I think you almost answered your own question right there is my, I send out in, if you go to dreamoftravelwriting.com and you want to give us your email address to get our newsletter, we send out a lot of free resources in our newsletter. In addition to the webinar that I do every week, in fact, after I get off this call, I'm going to put together a list of all of the travel writing jobs available this week that have come up on various websites. So I often have this question even for myself, is this rate too low for me to even possibly recommend for somebody to do this? And I'm very cognizant that, as you said, there are people out there who do want to do something for that rate just for now, just for that one thing. And so my biggest piece of advice is to be really honest with yourself about how long you need to do that. Because there's a, there's certainly people who have never written before who need to build up the daily practice of writing to a deadline or who need to build up the self-confidence of receiving money for their writing or who simply need to make the trade-off of a low rate in exchange for an editor who's going to harangue them about their grammar or their sentence structure. And those are certainly things that if you are completely new to writing are worth doing and you should do them for pay rather than writing on your own blog for exactly what I said, having those forced deadlines, having somebody who's going to harangue you about the quality of your writing. It's definitely better to write for a small amount and have an editor than to be writing on your own on your blog if you want to be transitioning out of something else and into writing. But it's very important to see when you have surpassed those needs. And I told someone recently who writes these beautiful features for this magazine that I think does pay her about $250 or maybe $150 for these features. And it's an agricultural-focused magazine. And she's quite a fascinating woman. She is a goat breeder. She's a goat farmer. Um, and just on her own, it's her and her daughter. There's, there's no men. And so there's these, these strong female, you know, goat breeders and she, she just writes these beautiful stories, personal essay, first person style stories. And she had been writing for this editor. And this is the point when, you know, when the editor just like lets you write whatever you want and never has a single edit for you. That's when you know you need to be working for a higher rate, when you need to be pitching somewhere else. When you're at that point, you need to go somewhere else. However, if you're in the position where you're supporting your family, it's good to maybe keep a couple of those lying around where you can be writing whatever you want, very little pressure, just to get that money coming in. But again, that depends on your personal situation and how much time you have to write. Yeah, and I used to call those bread and butter, bread, bread yes. and butter articles mm-hmm. because that I always knew whatever happened, that little bit of money was coming in, which was a nice feeling, mm-hmm. especially when you're freelancing every everyone because it's um, not for the faint-hearted uh, but the opportunities are out there more and more and it's great talking to you Gabby because I had thought that with all this free content out there that it was actually getting more and more difficult and word on the ground here in Australia is that it is getting more and more difficult and everybody's doing it and you're competing with professional journalists listening to you come back in and say the tra- um, the airline mags are back in line are back online that there are opportunities out there if you present yourself well present yourself professionally everybody I couldn't even begin to unpack half of what Gabby's told us today and we haven't even started on pitching and um, other than that you've got to do it. There is so, there's so much involved in this topic. Um, you've got to educate yourself. You've got to inform yourself. You can download the first three chapters of Gabby's book, as I did, uh, if you go to her website. And this newsletter, you offer us um, golden opportunity to go to your website, find travel articles to write for free. We don't have to do anything. Everybody, we have gone straight to the person who can help us uh, without even having to do anything other than subscribe to your newsletter. How do we do that? So if you go to my website and you go to any blog post, at the bottom of the blog post, there will be – there's different downloads. So actually, Mel had mentioned that you can get – three free chapters from the Six Figure Travel Writing Roadmap. You can also get some free breakdowns, which are the same information that we have in the Travel Magazine database. And so some people like to kind of collect them all. So if you go to different blog posts, you'll see different things down there at the bottom. But I wanted to circle back to something that you just said, because I did some workshops, I believe it was back in August now, I did a series of workshops in Melbourne and a series of workshops in Sydney. And I had written directly to some freelance writers to invite them because I I did a very beginner workshop and a very advanced workshop and and I know who each one is good for and so it's better for me to invite directly rather than just publicize it and I got some 
responses that were like you said, that were, you know, it doesn't seem like there's so many markets or the pay has decreased and it's, and I really want to know what's out there. But I interestingly got some responses that were quite the opposite, which were, well, I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. What could you tell me about pitching that I don't already know? And I'm absolutely not going to name names. And the head of the Australian Travel Writers Association, in fact, who came to both of my workshops and I had a, had a lovely chat about this. But the sense for people who have been doing this for a long time, like I mentioned, is that what you're doing is is the, the peak, is, is, is everything that's out there. If you've been working in the industry this long, you know who the editors are, you know who the players are. But no matter where you are, it's really important to remember that there's always different types of opportunities, whether you are looking at different formats, you know, online versus print or for tours and boards and companies versus editorial. Or right now there's a amazing resurgence of places for these first person narrative essays in print rather than just on your blog. And so no matter what type of writing you're doing, if you've gotten disheartened in the past, there's probably something new, whether it, like I said, is the outlet or other or the type of writing that's the home for you right now to get paid for the writing that you're that you already love to do. Yeah, and everyone, you can see my ears pricking up, can't you? Because um, I, I'm transitioning out of my teaching job yet again. I transition out every year and then take another contract, but it's not happening <laughs> this year, everybody. Um, I'm now going to pick up a few um, freelance um, travel writing gigs because I can. Now, I just wanted to end off um, because I've got to go to school. And Gabby, the when you pitched me, okay, now I get a lot of pitches for the podcast and it's usually um, – people who want to promote a book or something like that. Mm. And this is what Gabby said, everybody, and now how could I resist? It come up with a great podcast was in the in the title and quick question. Now, of course, I'm going to open an email that says great podcast because I'm curious, um, <laughs> which is the first thing. And then Gabby introduces herself and, and doesn't muck around about why why she's in touch with me. I'm a great, I'm a nomadic writer and was in, I was running some workshops recently and was really struck by the writing scene. There is such a fantastic community. And then um, she goes on, I know you often feature guests in your podcast and I run a website that profiles writing opportunities for writers. So I know straight away that Gabby is the perfect fit for me. So I, I responded straight away and said, love to have you on. And then I'm going to ask her, would you come back on a regular basis because you've got so much <laughs> more to tell us. Uh, do you run, are you going to run a writing retreat in Australia or do we have to go over and visit you in New York to go to these things? It's funny because whenever I'm I'm on location, as my friends call it, and I'm doing workshops somewhere else, there's always a certain number of people that I invite and they say, oh, well, tell me the next time you do one. And I'm like, well, I live in New York City. Um, <laughs> and I, I, went to, I, I went to Oz in the first place entirely kind of on a whim that my, my husband and I see each other with a lot less regularity than most people because I travel, but he also travels for work as well. And he had a conference that he wasn't going to go to and he decided entirely last minute that he was going to go. So that was how I ended up in Australia. So I don't have any explicit plans to go again, but that doesn't mean that I won't be there unexpectedly sometime next year. But what I will say, though, is I know that um, obviously, you know, we have a writing retreat center here in the Catskills, and that's quite far. But we do have, as I mentioned, these webinars every week that I do. And I have some of the folks who came to our workshops in Australia that now tune in regularly. You don't have to see it live. So it's at an inconvenient time for Australian time, but you can get the replay as well. But just make sure that you subscribe to the webinar in advance, and you can actually subscribe to the whole series. So you automatically will get the replays of any future webinars and then you'll have them whenever you'd like to watch them at a convenient time for you yeah and the webinars everybody they're free coaching sessions uh where you go through different aspects of travel writing i'm certainly subscribing to this i'm, I'm pretty excited because um I've, i'm always a bit of a gypsy and i always like to go places but i live in a beautiful part of the world i've got um the hinterland of the sunshine coast i've got the hinterland of northern new south wales i've got the city itself that is growing hand over fist why would i not get back into um personal essay writing it's we're, mm. we're writers everybody we're trying to write our novels we're trying to do all these amazing things here is an opportunity for our bread and butter money and if you want to do travel writing by itself six-figure income sounds um, fairly good to me uh gabby i'd love to have and you i'll, I'll say on that note because if you if you download the chapters you'll see that i break out that you can earn six figures part-time writing if you just keep your hourly rate at a hundred dollars an hour so that isn't even full-time you can do that only half-time yeah, art and everybody. There's a the, 
I've avoided everything that Gabby said about the business part of it. Make sure that you use your time wisely and you know what your hourly rate is. I've had so many people on this podcast tell me that. Know what your hourly rate is, um, blocking out your time, managing your time. I just go straight over my head. We're, we're creatives, Gabby. We're really bad at that kind of stuff. Um, but there is serious money to be made. Um, and don't listen, and we haven't got time to touch on this either, but all these people out there, and they're usually young single men running around the world, mm. saying, oh, it's really, really easy. It's not. It's it's mm. a job and it's hard like anything else. Um, Gabby, I'd love to have you back. I'll invite you online while we're talking to everybody. I'd love to have you back at some stage to talk yeah. further and unpack more about this subject because it's one that I'm passionate about. Uh, yeah. And I, I think a lot. you've got a lot to teach all of us. Um, one last time, where can we find you? So you can find the the webinars and all of that is on dreamoftravelwriting.com and the database is travelmagazinedatabase.com. Yeah, and the book, The uh, Six-Figure Travel Writing Roadmap, you can download from Amazon. You can get the first three chapters. GabbyLogan.com has a beautiful website with beautiful images, but I don't remember seeing oh, a you. blog on there at all. You didn't have a blog, did you? No. This is actually a question that I get a lot is if I just want to freelance, do I need a blog? And no, I don't have one, and I got freelance gigs without one for years. Yeah, and that's because the website's so beautiful. Um, have we got two minutes for you to quickly say why that website is, is a huge selling tool for you my my gabbylogan.com website oh, yeah, it's yeah. Nice. and it's it's quite interesting because I have mm. some people who I coach who have just like copied my website exactly and I don't realize they go to their website and I'm like wow your website looks great like this is a great description and they're like yeah I just copied yours but in <laughs> In the book, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is in one of the, the chapters that's in the free section, but I actually have a minute by minute plan of how to make your writer website in one hour because it's one of these things where, like I was talking about the hourly rate, and Mel was saying, well, well, we're creative. It's important to, to guard your creative time, right? And you don't want to spend your creative time that should be working on structure and narrative on your website. So I say in the book, this is exactly what you need. Here is a fill-in-the-blank format of how to write it. So if you want to get a similar website, I talk about that in the book as well. But I really recommend, as Mel said, she took down the, the travel bits on her website because that wasn't her focus anymore, that one of the things that I see a lot of people do is when you first set up your writing website the first time, there's this scarcity mindset that I know you guys have heard about before that you don't want to miss any opportunity. So you want to say all the types of writing you can do or all of the different things that you're interested that you can write on. But instead, focusing very clearly on the type of work that you want to get makes a stronger website and will move you in that direction. Yeah, and everybody, I removed all my travel writing off my website for exactly that reason because I thought, oh, I don't want to go in that direction anymore. It's going all back up tomorrow. <laughs> and I teach my kids how to structure a narrative every day and I've been tutoring all my kids on how to write personal essays. How silly am I? I should be teaching you guys. So from here on in, coming in 2018, I'm going to teach you how to write a personal essay and you can pitch it to Gabby. Gabby, I'm out of time. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank, Thank you for you getting so in touch. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and everybody, make sure you check out um check out gabby's stuff because it's really really good and obviously as you can see inspiring as well so it's bye from writer on the road and bye from gabby thank you guys bye bye